Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Daniel chapter 6. On your screen there is a guy named Andrew Brunson. Some of you may have heard of him. His name has been in the news quite a bit over the last year or so. He was a missionary in Turkey, he and his wife, for 23 years, uh, planted churches there, and um, found himself under the um, surveillance and uh, concern of the government, the Islamic government there in Turkey. Uh, he was charged with being an enemy of the state, charged with being a threat to national security, even charged with being a spy for the CIA and was arrested and thrown into prison and spent 21 months in a Turkish prison. Now this guy is a church planner, pastor, missionary, and um, you know you would think that, that maybe he, since he's a pastor, would have found a way to, to be you know, rejoicing in the Lord even under his persecution, but it's kind of refreshing to hear how honest he is. He, he says he was completely broken, completely discouraged, that for the first year in prison, he was lying in a fetal position on the floor of the prison. He lost 50 pounds while incarcerated. A very trying, troubling ordeal for this man. But through a number of um, um, efforts and various things that fell into place, including some of the work of uh, our, our president, he was released on October 12th, 2018, and was released and able to come back home to North Carolina. Now there's a magazine called World Magazine, and I highly recommend that. There's a podcast that they do also called um, The World and Everything in It. Uh, Mary and I listen to it almost every day. I'd recommend that to you. And World has this kind of an award that they come up with. It's called the Daniel of the Year Award. <laughs> and this award is given to people who show uh, particular bravery in service to God. And so even in spite of Andrew Brunson's brokenness and discouragement, World Magazine gave to this man this award in 2018, the Daniel of the Year Award. And one of the things that Pastor Brunson said when he was released is, you know what I found, that sometimes it's harder to live for God than it is to die for God. And that's true, isn't it? I mean, maybe you haven't been thrown into prison, but... I think we all know what it's like to find it difficult to live for God, particularly when you feel like you're totally alone and in the minority in the convictions that you hold. Now, that was very true for Andrew Brunson in Turkey. Not, not as true here, but in the United States, but it seems to be getting more like that as we talk about quite often. It feels like being a Bible-believing Christian is to put yourself in the extreme in the extreme minority, it is not easy to live faithfully uh, to God uh, in this world in which we live. And so we are all called to some degree to get a little bit of Daniel in us, it, it seems, this day and age. In our culture, in your workplace, maybe among extended family, maybe among friends, you feel like an oddball because of the things that you believe. And that's the way Andrew felt. That's the way I think Daniel probably felt, and we're going to look at a story about 
Daniel being in a very similar situation here as we continue through our sermon series. Ruth 66, we're going through the entire Bible. One sermon per Bible book. We started in Genesis, moving toward Revelation, and we've reached Daniel here, the last of the major prophets. We've been looking at prophets here, Jeremiah, Isaiah, etc., Ezekiel. We call those major prophets. Next week we'll start going to the minor prophets, which are just prophets who have shorter books. That's really all that means. Uh, but Daniel is considered a major prophet. Uh, he is considered to be the author of the book. There is some scholarly dispute about that, but uh, many believe that he is the author. Daniel is one of the exiles from Judah to Babylon. Remember, we've been talking a lot about that. God had threatened exile to his people. Finally, it happened. Um, the exiles were shipped off to live in Babylon. So some prophets wrote before that exile, like Jeremiah and Isaiah, and other prophets wrote during the exile, like Ezekiel, and also Daniel. Daniel rose to prominence in Babylon, and so we'll hear a little more about that in a second. Date written, probably 605 to 536 B.C., so we're talking about 500 years or so before the coming of Christ. The theme of Daniel, very frequently we see an emphasis on God's sovereignty, particularly his sovereignty over history and over all the nations in the world. Um, we see this theme of the challenge of living faithfully while in exile, while in, uh, as a minority. Uh, and then significant events. King Nebuchadnezzar's dreams that Daniel is called in to uh, interpret, <clears throat> uh, the fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel's friends cast into the furnace, Daniel's dreams himself uh, foretelling some events that were to come. Mentions of the Son of Man, words that Jesus took then later and applied to himself. And of course, the story of the lion's den, one of the most popular and well-known stories in, in the whole Bible, um, which we're going to look at now. Daniel's a very interesting book. It's kind of divided into two halves. The first half for several chapters are, are narrative stories that, that are pretty interesting to follow. The, the later chapters have to do with these dreams. It gets very uh, kind of prophetic and apocalyptic. A lot of those images are picked up later in Revelation, much more difficult to interpret. So I'm taking the easy way out here today and choosing to preach on Daniel 6, the story of the lion's den. So I'm going to read this whole chapter. Um, you can stand now if you're able. It, it will take a, a little bit of time to read this, 28 verses. But if you're able, please stand and we'll see what help Daniel can give to us about how to be faithful in a world that tends to be so unfriendly to people who love and follow God. Daniel 6. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three presidents of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. 
Then these presidents and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When David knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then, at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And he came near to the den where Daniel was. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of, his, out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded... And those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, 
enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Again, Lord, we are looking to your spirit now to open our eyes to behold wonderful things in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Daniel and the lion's den. Three things that I want to show you very kind of simple statements that we can learn about how to live faithfully in a very unfriendly word. And the first one is this, work hard. Work hard. In whatever position or vocation you have, work hard. Now, why? That, that sounds kind of obvious, maybe, but, but here's why this is significant in this case. we got to get the context here. Remember, what I've been telling you here is that Daniel has been exiled to Babylon, okay? Babylon. Do you know what Babylon is? Babylon is an enemy of the people of God. They are the ones who have come to knock down the temple and knock down the walls of Jerusalem and basically kidnap God's people and take them into exile. And when we look throughout Scripture and into the book of Revelation in particular, we see that Babylon is a symbol of rebellion against God. It's a symbol of everything that is wicked and evil and unjust. And here is Daniel, one of God's people, working in the Babylonian government. I just let that sink in for a moment. The Babylonian government, you see that here at the start of the chapter. It pleased Darius, the king, to set up in the kingdom 120 satraps. These are just kind of like low-level administrative officials over the whole kingdom. And over them were these three presidents, and Daniel was one of them. Daniel was a president in the kingdom of Daniel. Different kind of president than we know of today. Uh, definitely underneath the authority of Darius, but over these satraps. And this was Daniel. But he wasn't just any president. As we go on, we see in verse 3 that he was actually quite good at what he did. <laughs> then this Daniel became distinguished, it says, above all the other presidents and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. The, the king was going to exalt Daniel to this place of supremacy because he worked hard at what he did, because he gave everything that he had, because he excelled in this position as a president in the kingdom of Babylon. Now that, that is just something that I think kind of should challenge the way we sometimes think because we might consider that Daniel would have maybe reflected on his place in Babylon and thought, how can I possibly do this? How can I work for such a wicked government? I mean, wouldn't that send the message that I support what Babylon stands for? If I work where I've been appointed, particularly if I, if I act like I'm, I'm really trying to do the best that I can, I mean, wouldn't it be better if I withdrew from this wouldn't it be better if I retreated from this wicked government and this wicked community and this wicked city and just found a bunch of Christians that I could just hang out with in my own little tight subculture, my own little separated enclave, and I, I could just, you know, my friends and I can get along well and we wouldn't have to worry about being influenced by Babylon and we wouldn't have to worry about anybody thinking that we supported what Babylon stood for. 
Now, I don't know if that's what entered Daniel's mind. I think that's probably what would enter a lot of our minds if we were living in Babylon and had the opportunity to serve in the Babylonian government. But I bet you Daniel remembered what the prophet Jeremiah said. Jeremiah prophesied not long before Daniel. And at this point in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, Jeremiah is speaking to the exiles in Babylon. And so he says this, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Let me just say it a different way. Seek the welfare of Babylon where I have sent you into exile. Seek the welfare of Babylon. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Seek the prosperity of Babylon. The the application today, as God's people, we need to seek the the prosperity of Muncie in Yorktown, in the state of Indiana, in the United States, no matter how much we might disagree with what's going on in our country, in our nation, in our communities. As people in exile, we are to seek the prosperity and benefit. And that's exactly what Daniel was doing. This guy named Michael Goheen just says it this way. Cultural participation heightens the temptation to assimilate and is thus dangerous to Israel's identity. Let's not ignore that there is a danger and we are susceptible and we might be influenced and there are risks. Yet in this context, Jeremiah calls Israel to full participation in the cultural life of the Babylonian Empire. Uh, that's That's just an astounding thing in my mind. And not only does Daniel fully participate, but he, he does it again with, with excellence. Verse 4, some of these people rise up and they're trying to find a ground of complaint against Daniel. You know, they want to cut him down for some reason. They're searching for something to complain about. But what happens? They can't find any ground for complaint. They can't find any ground for any fault in this man. That's how much integrity he had. That's how honest he was. That's how hardworking he was. I mean, this just raises a question that Christians have been dealing with for a long time throughout the history of the church, and that is how involved should Christians be in the cultures in which we find ourselves? You know, the one extreme is like what the Amish have done, right? The Amish say, no, we're not going to be infected by the world. We are going to create our own community and absolutely and totally separate from the world. Now, that is certainly not what we see here in Daniel. It's certainly not what Jeremiah prophesied. I guess the other extreme would be, yeah, just go out and be like the world and do everything that they do and adopt all their opinions and their practices and be just like them, and by that means you can assimilate and then maybe be able to talk to them about the gospel. I I think that's another extreme. That's something else to be avoided. There's a balance. There's a middle ground there where we don't withdraw We enter into our culture, but we maintain a very distinctive way of life as people who have been called and redeemed by God to live in holiness. And that's what Daniel is doing. What we're going to see here in a moment, he is not afraid to stand out in his devotion to God, but he's also not afraid to get involved in his culture. Brings up the question here whether Christians should be participating in politics and running for office. I saw Forbes magazine had a story a little while ago, a poll where they asked people, what do you consider to be the least trusted profession? And at the very bottom of the list was members of Congress. Least trusted. 
I mean, what a sad thing, really. I mean, we're supposed to look up to our political leaders, and our political leaders are looked down upon now more than perhaps ever before in history. And do you see here that Daniel is an exception to that? He's a government leader, but he's a man of integrity. And I think we could use more men and women like Daniel in government, don't you think? I mean, I wish we had more students here today. We're in the summer, but I would encourage you, if you're a young person thinking about a career, to consider a career in politics. We need a godly, righteous influence in politics. And, you know, there was a time when, when it was this way. I've been reading a, um, a history of Princeton College, or Princeton University, which actually started, I don't know if you knew this, but as a very strongly Presbyterian Christian university that Princeton started as an institution that churned out pastors, Presbyterian pastors in particular, Princeton. And, uh, but it wasn't only pastors that they trained, they also trained statesmen. And in the late 1700s, about the time that our country was founded, in recognition of July 4th, which we just celebrated here a few days ago, out of Princeton came, Princeton, a strongly Christian college, out of Princeton came 21 senators, three Supreme Court justices, 12 state governors, nine cabinet officers, one vice president, and one president of the United States, James Madison. All coming out of a Christian university. I mean, that's the way it ought to be. Trained in the Christian worldview, some go into ministry, others go into the culture as salt and light for the glory of God. Whatever your job is, friends, maybe you're not a politician and have no interest in that, that's fine, but whatever your job is, whatever your vocation is, whether you're a politician or an auto mechanic or an accountant or a teacher or a farmer or a salesman or a nurse, or whether you work at McDonald's, whether you work at Meyer, whether you work at Walmart, whatever your job is and whomever you work for, if your boss is a Christian or non-Christian or atheist or Muslim, it doesn't matter. Your call is to work as hard as you can, to do your job well, to excel in what you are paid to do. This is what Paul tells us. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. So it's not just if you're a pastor or a missionary. Whatever you do, Work heartily. Work hard. Charles Spurgeon said this, the shop, the barn, and the kitchen become temples when men and women do it all to the glory of God. So that's the first thing we see here. Work hard. Daniel is a hard-working guy, even in the kingdom of Babylon. Secondly, get ready. Get ready. Because working hard and doing well in your profession is no guarantee that you won't be persecuted. You might be the most honest, most skilled, most godly person in your profession, but it might not keep you from persecution. 2 Timothy 3, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Pretty stark, pretty blunt statement here from Paul. Well, what happens to Daniel? Okay, Daniel is about to be exalted over the kingdom, and... Um, <clears throat> A request is made by these people that Daniel works with in verse 7. These people, they, they basically 
conspire together. They come by agreement, it says in verse 6. They get together in their little group. We don't like Daniel. And it doesn't really tell us why they don't like Daniel. Maybe they're just jealous or envious of him. We don't really know. It could be just because they know he's a godly man and it just irritates them. And so they want to bring him down and they get together by agreement and they go to Darius and they say to, to Darius, Darius, we, we want you to uh, make a law, um, uh, an injunction here. It says in verse 7. And the injunction is this, that whoever petitions to any god, that is whoever prays to, to any other god except for you, Darius, let's have them cast into the den of lions. Now, we know that Daniel's reputation is known. I mean, these people know what they're doing. They're setting a trap. They know that Daniel's a godly man. They know that he prays. That's why they're asking for this, so that Daniel can fall into this trap and be cast into the den of lions. Now, Darius doesn't know that these people have Daniel in mind. And so, you know, Dan Darius is probably thinking, yeah, haven't everybody prayed to me? Yeah, it's okay with me. Sounds like a good idea. Why not? And so... Darius, it says in verse 9, signs the document. Signs the document. Signs this injunction. Now, what, what would Daniel's response be at, at this time? Because if you look at the start of verse 10, you'll see when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he knows about this. He knows that there is now this injunction that says that if he prays to any other god except for Darius, he's going to be put into the den of lions. Now, again, just trying to get into Daniel's head what he must have been thinking, maybe things like, you know, do I really want to go pray knowing that I'm going to be eaten by lions? I mean, isn't there a better way to think through this? I mean, won't I have more opportunity to witness for God if I don't do this and just... Not pray, it's just for 30 days anyway. I can pray to God for the whole rest of my life. Maybe just these 30 days, I'll just cut back, you know? No big deal. And besides, I'm in Babylon. I wonder if Daniel was even thinking, I mean, with all the bad things that are happening here to our people, I'm not even sure if the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is even real anymore. I mean, do you ever feel that way when you're in a culture and you're in the minority and everybody else believes differently than you? And you start thinking, I mean, am, am I the one wrong here? Maybe the God that I believe in is the false God. I see all these Babylonians worshiping the Babylonian gods. The Babylonians seem to be in power. Maybe their gods are the true gods and my God is the false God. Is that what was entering into Daniel's mind? I mean, we, we don't know. But again, I think that might be some thoughts that might be coming into my mind and into the minds of some of you. So what does Daniel do? Well, Daniel knows he must obey God rather than men. And so, in verse 10, we see, even though he knew that the document had been signed, he goes to his house, where he had the windows in his upper chamber open, toward Jerusalem. He knows people are going to see him. And he gets down on his knees, and he prays. In absolute defiance of the injunction from King Darius, three times a day, and he prays. Wow, so what happens? Well, just as these other people knew, these conspirators knew, and just as Daniel knew, the, these men came and by agreement, verse 11, they saw Daniel making this prayer, and so they go to the king, verse 12, and they say, hey king, remember you signed that injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man except for you is gonna be thrown into the den of lions. And the king says, yep, that's true. That's what I did. And the thing stands. It can't be changed. And then in verse 13, they say, yeah, but you know what? 
we saw Daniel pay no attention to you, O king. And that injunction you have signed, he's ignored it. He's rejected it. And then it says in verse 14, the king said when he heard these words was much distressed and set his mind on to deliver Daniel. So Darius likes Daniel. He respects Daniel. He, he loves Daniel. And now he has fallen into his own trap because he can't change the law. He signed it. And now he's got to do what the law requires. And so he goes through with it. As much as he regrets it, as sad as it makes him, and he throws Daniel into the den of lions. Now, knowing that this was going to happen, you know, again, trying to get into Daniel's heart and mind, where do you think he got the fortitude to go up into his room and to kneel and pray, knowing what it was going to bring him? Now, of course, the grace of God, of course, the Spirit of God filling him is the only thing that can really enable a person to do that. But I think there was something that Daniel did also that contributed to that. And we see that at the very end of verse 10. Notice this little phrase at the end of verse 10, where he goes up to his room, he kneels down and prays, the last phrase, as he had done previously. (laughs) Daniel, we think, was probably between 70 and 80 years old at this time. As he had done previously, the suggestion here is that what Daniel was doing in his chambers is simply what he had been doing years and years and years during his life, kneeling down and praying to God, that he had established a relationship with God. He was a man who walked with God day after day after day. He had set a pattern of devotion to this God. He had laid in his life, a foundation that enabled him to go and obey God even in the face of the threats that were against him. And I think that's a big reason why Daniel was able to do this. It brings up a principle, which is this. Your character, friend, is not forged in adversity as much as it is revealed in adversity. In other words, Daniel didn't decide to get busy about his prayer life when he heard about the injunction. He had been busy in his prayer life for decades before the injunction. And when that injunction came, no problem for Daniel. I'm just going to do what I have always done. This is how you get ready, friends. You know, we don't know what our future holds. We don't know if you and I will be thrown into the uh, den of lions or into a Turkish prison one day. We, we, we don't know that, friends. But... The time to get ready for whatever is in store for us is now. The time to develop a prayer life is now. The time to get to know God in his word is now. The time, as Martin Lloyd-Jones says, the time to build a secret history with God is now. Not when the time of adversity comes upon you. And that's how Daniel got ready. Last thing, trust God. How to be faithful in an unfriendly culture. Work hard where God put you. Get ready for the persecution that might be on its way. But also, trust God. Um, You might have seen that at the very end when Daniel is delivered. Um, It says that he was delivered because he had trusted in his God. But we also see this from Darius himself, kind of an ironic place maybe. King Darius, verse 16, he's the one that goes to Daniel and says... 
uh, to Daniel, uh, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. It was like Darius calling on Daniel, trust in your God, this God that you serve, trust in him. Because remember, Darius doesn't really want to put him in the den. So he says, trust in him, maybe he'll deliver you. And we find out that this is exactly what happens in this miraculous display of God's grace. An angel comes and shuts the lion's mouth in verse 22. And Daniel comes out completely unharmed. And he's rescued from the den of lions. He's released. And we find that Darius then takes all of those conspirators and he throws all of them into the den of lions. And before they even hit the ground, the lions are on top of them, breaking their bones, it says in verse 24. So Daniel trusted God and was delivered from the lion's den. Praise God. Amen. That's awesome. Now, the question that you might be thinking of here is this. Does this mean then that you'll never be thrown into a den of lions? Does this mean that if you trust God, no harm will ever come to you? Does this mean that if you were in a situation like Daniel, that God would miraculously close the mouths of lions for you? Does it mean you'll never be harassed, never injured, that you'll never... Have your head cut off for, the, for your faith in Jesus? I mean, is that what this means? Just trust God and he'll keep you from any kind of harm. Is that what this means? And I think the answer is this. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, maybe God did it for Daniel. He, he could do it for you and he could do it for me too. He might and he does work miraculously to deliver people. But, but not necessarily. Not necessarily. We might be called upon to give our lives for Jesus one day. That might be what happened. The, pur the purpose of this passage is not to say that if you're in a tight spot, God is going to miraculously deliver you every single time. That's not the purpose. The purpose of this passage as we look at the whole biblical story is to point us to a greater deliverance. The careful reader of this passage will notice a lot of references to the work of Jesus Christ on your behalf and mine later. For instance, comparing Daniel 6 to the book of Matthew. I mean, watch this. Daniel thrown into the lion's den for a certain death. Now, Daniel didn't die, but he was as good as dead when he was thrown in there. Uh, Jesus, not thrown into a den of lions, but, but hung on a cross where he did die. He did die. Daniel a stone, <coughs> excuse me, a stone is brought, it says in verse 17. A stone brought over the lion's den to make sure that Daniel doesn't get out. Do you remember when Pilate said to his soldiers, he said, make sure that Jesus doesn't get out of that tomb after the crucifixion and Jesus' body is put in the tomb. Pilate says, secure that tomb. And the soldiers go and they get a stone and put it over the tomb. Darius comes when? In the morning, it says in verse 19. To, to look into the den to see where Daniel is. Well, at the start of chapter 28 of Matthew, we find the women coming in the morning to look into the tomb to see what, what, what happened to Jesus who had been crucified. And what did Darius find? Daniel was alive. He was certainly going to be dead, but no, he's alive. And when the women came expecting to find Jesus' body, they found Jesus was alive resurrected from the dead. And then Darius gives this decree at the very end of the chapter, verses 25 to 27. 
um, this wonderful decree after Daniel had come up out of the den. He says, here's what I want everybody to hear, that this God is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall have no end. This God who delivers, rescues, he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. This one has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. What Darius is saying is, I want this proclaimed. I want everybody to know about this. Everybody should hear about this God. And in the same way, when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he went to his disciples and he said, go and make disciples of all nations. All authority has been given to me. He says in Jerusalem, you are now my witnesses in um, in Judea, in Jerusalem, in Samaria, and to all the ends of the earth, go and proclaim the good news of the gospel. And that's what the church has been doing for 2,000 years, and that's what Andrew Brunson was doing in Turkey. That's what he was doing. And in fact, when he stood before the judges in the courtroom in Turkey, asking, being asked to make a defense for the charges against him, he said, he said before these people who had his whole life in their hands, he said, I am innocent of these charges. He said, I want you to know I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And my purpose here is to tell people about Jesus and disciple those who believe in him. Before these judges who had the power to throw him into prison because Pastor Brunson knew about this greater deliverance. He knew that he had been delivered not from the mouths of lions, but he has been delivered from the wrath of God. He has been delivered from the tyranny of Satan. He has been delivered from the penalty of his sin. He has been delivered from everlasting destruction through the work of Jesus Christ on his behalf. And that's the only way I think that any of us could have the courage and the strength to confess our faith like he did in front of people who had the power to cast us into prison and to even take our own lives. Do you know this greater deliverance? This deliverance is promised to you, friends. Not necessarily deliverance from the den of lions, but deliverance from something, something much worse. The wrath of God that is not something you have to face. If you will repent, trust in this Jesus. Receive him as your Lord. Is it hard to live for God, harder to live for God than to die for him? Maybe, but friends, you have a God who died so that you can live. <laughs> so, Church of Jesus Christ, arise and put your armor on and live for him. Father, we are thankful to you for your word. We thank you for your servant, Daniel, but most of all, we're thankful for our Savior, Jesus, who has delivered us from the penalties we deserve by grace alone. We praise you. Help us to live faithfully for you now. In Jesus' name, amen.